Well, good morning. How is everybody? I, uh, I wouldn't normally do this, um, but I just got to say, Dave, it's so good to see your face this morning. Praise God. You're here, brother. Um, gosh, my hope this morning is uh, simply to encourage you. Um, if you got your Bible, open up to Psalm 27 or your phone and, you know, no matter what circumstances surround your life right now, no matter what kind of adversity you're facing, I don't know what it is. Um, my hope this morning is that you walk out of here um, with your head held a little higher than it was when you walked in, that you're able to just absorb uh, the words of Psalm 27, the words of God to encourage you uh, this morning. Um, I have loved this series. I don't know about you guys, but the Psalm series has been so fun to um, to simply, you know, just engage in the uh, broad range of emotions that the Psalms have. Whether it's from written from the pits of despair to the heights of praise, or just longing and yearning for God to. Um, move in a way, uh, it's been really encouraging to me just to read the rawness and the authenticity uh, of primarily David's writings. Um, This morning, kind of a little context to uh, Psalm 27. Uh, We don't know a ton. There are a lot of scholars that speculate. Um, There are some that tie Psalm 13 and 27 together. Uh, 13 was the psalm where in, the, in a moment of despair where David's crying out, How long, O Lord, have you forgotten me forever? Um, where they think psalm, that, that psalm was written in the, in the moment, in the thick of the moment, and Psalm 27 was a, a psalm written years later in time of reflection and praise of what God's done in his life. Um, we don't really know. Uh, where, if it was written in the thick of the moment or if it was written years later. But um, a, lot of, a lot of scholars also think that it kind of narrowed down to one of two circumstances that David went through in his life. One was uh, King Saul's pursuit to kill David, uh, or the other would be, the option would be uh, when David was fleeing from his son Absalom. Um, either one uh, doesn't really matter. I think what speaks loudly is the words uh, that come from David in, this, in the moment. Um, and so my hope this morning is just that this psalm, whatever going, whatever's going on in your life, is one that fills you with some courage and some uh, encouragement and hope in the midst of whatever is going on. Um, psalm 27 really is a beautiful psalm. It's a declaration from David of his confidence in God, a declaration to trust God more so than anything else that's going on in his life. I'm going to kick this. I know I am. Um, but what I hope my takeaway for you this morning is when we talk about worship when when life is uncertain worship of the Lord requires a singular focus and a steadfast confidence in the Lord Uh, the the song special that we did this morning kind of jumps all around Psalm 27 so I'd like just to read it in its entirety as we get started read with me The Lord is is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. 
Though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, Lord, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Charles Spurgeon calls Psalm 27 the treasury of David. There is so much incredible things that we could take out of this psalm. Um, I don't have time to cover them all, so I just want to cover a few. I want to point out a couple of them to you. David opens up this psalm in verse 1 with some extremely powerful words. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? I think we all probably understand and know that we are not given a get-out-of-jail-free card in life, that we in life are going to face adversity and circumstances that are scary. But in the midst of uncertainty and fear, a fear of the Lord can lead to great spiritual freedom. What we can learn from David in verse 1 is that David fears God. You see, he pays more attention to God rather than the circumstances that are surrounding him. David's confidence is not merely that the Lord gives light, but that he is light. His confidence is not merely that David or that God may give salvation, but that he is salvation. Proverbs 9, verses 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why is that? John Calvin kind of flips that whole thing over, and he says it this way. He says, there is no sin so prevalent, so insidious, and so deep as the sin of fearing people more than we fear God. I think David learns from Saul's life. Think of Saul and his downfall. It's a result of misplaced fear. You know, as he explains to Samuel after the business of the bleeding of sheep, Saul comes to Samuel and in 1 Samuel 15, 24, he says, I have sinned. This is Saul speaking. I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Here's this powerful, impressive looking king. And he's not fearing his enemies. He's fearing his friends. He's fearing the people that are his subjects. 
He's scared of his friends. They, they're scared that they would desert him. He's afraid that they would be revolt. He's afraid that he would become an unpopular king. So he disobeyed a clear command from God because he feared people. And, and Saul is not the only sad example that we can point to. Um, there are plenty of other examples, but he's an example of one who counted it more precious to be acceptable and pleasant and influential amongst his peers rather than to be honored, affirmed, and seen as faithful in the sight of God. I think um, for us, we have to realize the fear of man is an extremely powerful thing. It's easy for us to point the finger at Saul and say, yeah, he did it wrong, but I'm not doing so bad. We have to recognize that the fear of man invades our life in a lot of different ways. I want to read a a series of questions to you that kind of just gauge in our current life today, our culture, how the fear of man can kind of pervade or invade our lives. This series of questions is not my own. I got it from Pastor Kevin DeYoung. Let's let's listen. Do you struggle with peer pressure? Do you give in against your will just to go along with the crowd? That's a fear of man. Are you overcommitted? Is it possible for you to say no? Impossible for you to say no. Could it be a sign that you love to be loved by others? Are you a people pleaser? Do you have low self-esteem? It may seem kind of counterintuitive, but low self-esteem issues are usually rooted in pride. If you, if you reverence the opinion of other people, you use those things to build up your own identity and your own sense of well-being. Are you crushed by criticism? Look, no one, no one likes to be criticized. But be careful that you're not putting your identity in other people's opinions. So much so that when someone criticizes, you're destroyed by it. Do you feel trapped by people's praise because you can never live up to their expectations? I know in my own life, I'm far more swayed by the people who think I'm great than the ones who think I'm a jerk. Being criticized is a burden for sure, but sometimes the weight of people's praises is far heavier than someone who criticizes us. Do you get embarrassed often? We all do silly things. It's healthy to laugh at ourselves. But if you're constantly embarrassed by the little things that you do or your family does, maybe it's that you're ruled by other people's opinions of you or your family. Do you tell little white lies to make yourself look better? It's easy in a moment to save face or to even gain some credibility by telling a little white lie about how much you pray or what time you get up or what books you've read or where you've been in your life. Do you avoid people for fear of rejection? And if all these questions miss the mark for you, then consider this. When you compare yourself to other people, does that make you feel good? Perhaps the most dangerous form of a fear of man is when it's successful for you. Because you don't realize that you really have a struggle with fear of man until it's gone. The fear of man can so easily invade our lives. It's why... David opens up with this verse in verse 1, and it's so powerful because Jesus, God, is our salvation. 
Spurgeon says it like this, salvation finds us in the dark, but it does not leave us there. It gives, us, gives light to those who sit in the valley of the shadow of death. After conversion, our God is our joy, comfort, guide, teacher, and in every sense, our light. He is light within, light around, light reflected from us, and light to be revealed to us. So when David asks, whom shall I fear? David's confidence does not rest in his present circumstances. It rests in his eternal salvation. That's where his confidence lies. Fear does not stand a chance against you if you rest in your eternal salvation. Salvation draws us out from the depths and darkness of our own sin, and then we begin to learn to rest and to trust in an eternal salvation. Our perspective should shift from fear to trusting in a good God. Because fear of man and trusting God cannot exist equally. It's one or the other. I'm not saying that it's wrong for us to feel fear. And it's really virtually impossible for us to go through life devoid of experiencing any fear in our lives. But the question is, when you feel fear in your life, what do you do with it? Let me, let me explain it like this. No, I'm not going to ask you, is the glass half full or half empty? <laughs> but if this glass of water is represent, representative of our fear in our lives, my question is, how much does this glass weigh? Any guesses? No, no guesses? Okay. It's fine. Well, it's good because it doesn't really matter how much it weighs. That's not the right question. The question is, how long do I hold on to it? If this is the representative of the fear in our lives, how long do I hold on to it? Because if I hold on to it for a moment, it's not that big of a deal. If I hold on to it for an hour, I begin to get an ache in my arm. If I hold on to it for a day, my arm feels numb and paralyzed. And if I hold on to it for even longer than that, it has the potential to destroy me. So it doesn't matter what the fear is. The question is, how long do I hold on to it? We have to walk with an open hand. Trusting God more than our fear of man means that we put our fears down and walk with an open hand. At times in our life, it's going to happen, but when we hold it with an open hand, when we move, it's going to fall. The problem for you and I is often we try to control it. We think if we grab a hold of it, we can control this fear and handle it. We can't. We just can't. <laughs> the Bible, Proverbs 3, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Draw encouragement from David this morning. Whatever, whatever weight is in your hands right now, draw encouragement from him. Look what he went through. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, I will be confident. Man, this, this is not, I'm frustrated. My, I got a flat tire on my way to work today. This is not, I thought, I thought I was in line for that promotion. I didn't get that promotion. These are heavy, life-threatening situations. David has this incredible ability to keep his eyes focused on the Lord. 
And he shows us how he does that in verse 4. How he's able to trust the Lord over each and every circumstance that he faced. And it's in this utter confession, this utter desire to be in communion with the Lord. The best answer for us to distracting fears and letting them go is to be singularly focused in life. When you look at all that David went through and you read verse 4, the one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Friends, what is your one thing? No matter what the circumstances are going on in my life, what is your one thing? The way David chose to battle his fears was to be singularly focused, preoccupied with God and his will. To make his purpose squarely, to keep his eyes focused on him. David's longing was to grow closer, to know the Lord. I love what David's life, I love what I, the thing I love about David's life is this, and what encourages me and pushes me is that no matter what is going on in his life, at the highest moments or at the lowest moments, his longing and his heart's desire is to know God deeply and intimately. When life seems uncertain, worship of the Lord requires a singular focus and a steadfast confidence in the Lord. That one thing I've asked of the Lord, the one thing I will seek, is an incredible statement. The one thing for David isn't safety, it isn't vindication, it isn't even victory. David's one thing isn't that he's, isn't for power, it isn't uh, control or retribution. No matter, what, regardless of what he's endured, the one thing David wishes for is to be in God's house, to take in the magnificence and beauty of the Lord. You see, the danger for you and I is that if the Lord is not our one thing, whatever, that, whatever else that one thing is can and will control your life. It'll control your heart. Because whatever it is that's, it, that's your one thing it's going to exercise an unavoidable influence over your words, your choices, and your actions. Your one thing, if it's not the Lord, it's going to shape and direct your responses to whatever the situation is, to whatever the relationships are in your life. If it isn't the Lord, that one thing, we have to recognize, will be our functional Lord. It's only when we are sold out to committing our lives to the glory and grace of God and getting our identity from him that we can truly live with a singular focus in life. Because this is, a, this is because God has the power to satisfy your heart. We were made to worship him. Nothing else. Our heart rests only when our heart and our lives are solely focused on him. Literally, it was a year ago this past week. We were talking about this in the office this past week. It was literally a year ago this past week that we began the process of sending our people, our friends, the Western Asia church planning team halfway around the world. We each have a deep love and sincere love for these people. Each member of that team, 
And they're there now, building relationships, striving to learn the language so that they can tell people about a God who loves them. You know, and over the past year, we've sat here in the States and watched some events unfold in their country. And we got to be honest, I mean, it's, it, we've allowed fear to invade at times. We've been scared for them. We love them, and we want to make sure that they're okay. But I want you to hear something from them this morning. I want you to hear from their own mouths what their one thing is. I reached out to them this past week and, and just said, would you, would you reflect on what, what is your one thing in your life? As, you, as these things go on around you, as the, the circumstances are heavy in the country around you, what is your, how does the one thing affect you? And so we've got pictures up here that pair with who's saying this, so you can kind of visualize who, who's, get, who's their testimony here. But I want you to listen to their testimony. God is sovereign. Nothing happens outside of his knowledge and will. The events only have increased my desire to share the gospel. He is worth it. I have friends dying and going to an eternal hell apart from God, and someone must tell them the good news. Yes, we've had some scary events in a heart-pounding night, but he is worth it. My one thing that I ask of the Lord is to be used by him in completion of his purpose for this age, to see God worshipped in every tribe, language, people, and nation, because we know we are working on behalf of the Lord. We can have full confidence. We can stand boldly without fear, knowing he can shelter us, He will shelter us, lead us, comfort us, and deliver us. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may run wholeheartedly towards Jesus in all the days of my life, that regardless of what may be going on in the world around me, that I would be obedient to him so that his worthy name would be worshipped and glorified among the nations. Several of the team members... um, drew confidence from a passage in Matthew 10, 28 through 31. And we're not going to be able to read all of it. You're only getting a little snippet of their testimony. And so this week in the Transit E-News email that we send out on a weekly basis, we're going to put a link in there so that you can read their full responses because they're powerful. But I want to close with two more. I want to say that I seek the same thing that David does. When trouble surrounds and darkness threatens to overcome me, I think about the house of the Lord and the beauty that I will see there. And I want to see his beauty made known in every situation. Even if the worst things happen to me on this earth, I know to die is gain. And that no joy on this earth compares with being in the presence of the Lord. So as I walk on this earth, I want to walk in his presence, serving him where he has called me, daily keeping in step with the Holy Spirit knowing that no sparrow falls to the ground apart from the Father's will, and no trouble will befall me outside that which the Lord has ordained. I would add that I believe the Lord will be seen as more beautiful when he is worshipped by a great multitude from all tribes, tongues, that he has created. He will be seen as more glorious when he receives praise from all his peoples. So in this way, I believe that the work we are doing here in Western Asia in a country where only few people call him Lord leads directly to a greater reflection of the Lord's beauty and the beauty that I crave and want to see. Personally, I cannot think of any work more thrilling and more in line with the one thing that David teaches us to want and seek. 
And finally, though we may face hardship, trials, persecution, or even suffering, one thing that we hold on to from the Lord is the sovereign love that he has for us. He will not let us live any, long, any shorter or any longer than what is in his plan. And we can trust in that. We may seek his face and take refuge in him being in the stronghold of our lives. He is worth it. You see, trusting in God in the face of adversity is worth it because he is worth it. David's one thing is what produces this unwavering confidence in the Lord, and it leads him to worship. A man who longs for God and hungers to be in his presence is not shaken by the circumstances or the surroundings that he is in. And you know what's amazing is we get to see that firsthand testimony in our team that's in Western Asia. In verse 6, David declares his worship. He says, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David worshiped and prayed in faith. No circumstances would make him waver. He spoke to the answers of, to his prayers with certainty. You see, when we worship who he is, what he's done, what he is doing, and what he will do, we arrange our hearts to seek his face. We arrange our hearts to go deeper with the Lord. I love what David says when he begins to pray in verse 7. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face, and my heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. David's prayer is not only a declaration of a worshiper seeking God's face, it's a prayer to remain committed to seek his face regardless of his circumstances if you move down to to verse 11 um, David prays for a level path And and it's not a prayer for an easy road but it's a prayer for a level path so that he can continue to grow closer to the Lord so we've got to arrange our hearts to seek his face We've got to arrange our hearts so that he is the one thing. Because if it's not, whatever that is, will gain our full attention. What's amazing about this, and I think we often forget about it, is David didn't have the certainty that we have in Christ today. David's experiences and his words are built off of who he knows God is. You know, for you and I, we have the confidence in Paul's words. In Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? If in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, if we are in Christ, nothing will be able to separate us from God in Christ Jesus. The amazing thing is that Jesus suffered through physical and relational agony so that you and I would never have to. Jesus took on the burden of God turning his face, turning his head away from him so that you and I would never have to. What a comforting thing for every Christian to know that they will never see the back of God's head. He'll never turn his back on us, never walk away, never reject us, never forsake us, and never cast us off. 
David's conclusion to Psalm 27 is a declaration of courage to wait. If you look at the last verse there, it's a, what I want you to pull away is a resolute confidence in the Lord is produced in a steadfast willingness to believe and to wait. Somewhere in your life, I'm confident of this, somewhere in your life, God's asking you to wait on him. And in your waiting, you're given the opportunity to deepen and strengthen your faith. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. Wait at his door with prayer. Wait at his foot with humility. Wait at his table with service. And wait at his window with expectancy. A steadfast willingness to believe in the Lord and wait on him requires you and I to take heart. And the challenge there is we often try to take heart in other people. We put our hope in other people. You got to remember that your motivation is only as strong as what you put your hope in. Perhaps this is why it's so easy to lose heart in the midst of adversity, in the midst of uncertainty, because no human being is capable of carrying our hope. This side of heaven, we are all weak, flawed, And in some way, we cannot carry the circumstances of hope in your life. Every situation you're in, somebody is touched by the brokenness of the fall, and we aren't under our own control. When you look horizontally for others to put your hope into, we are inevitably going to lose hope. This is precisely why there could be no better advice than the four words that begin and end Psalm 27. The last verse, wait, wait for the Lord. Don't wait to put your hope in some in hope in a person to fulfill you. Don't wait for that job that's going to fulfill you. Don't wait for life to get easier. There's only one place where a stable, reliable hope can be found. There's only one place for re- for the rest of your for rest of for your heart and security for your soul. There's only one source of motivation that's sturdy enough to weather whatever it is that you're dealing with in your life. Wait for the Lord really does say it all. When your hope is in the Lord, when he's the reason you continue, even when things are hard, then you're building your life on something that is reliable and sure. When you wait for the Lord, You've placed your hope in the one who's ultimate source of everything that is wise, good, and true. When you wait for the Lord, you're placing your safety in the hands of the one whose power is absolutely unmeasurable. When you wait for the Lord, you're getting your comfort from the one whose love is unbounded. When you wait for the Lord, you can be secure in the reality that he rules over all things. He holds all things together. When you wait for the Lord... You can live with confidence because you know that every one of his promises are true. And when you wait for the Lord, you can be hopeful in your weakness because you know that his grace is sufficient. I want to close this morning with this charge to simply take heart and wait for the Lord. Whatever your circumstances are, take heart and wait for the Lord. Worship of the Lord requires a singular focus and a steadfast confidence in the Lord. So whatever you're going through today, waiting on the Lord allows you to put your hope in the one who can truly provide you rest.
His grace is sufficient enough for you and I to believe and wait on him because he is worth it. I want to close us in prayer. We're going to have some folks up here to pray if you'd like some prayer. But after we get done praying, you're dismissed and free to go. God, we just ask for your presence here. Lord, whatever the circumstances that we face in our life, God, would you give us the courage, would you give us the confidence to step boldly towards you, to seek your face, to put our trust in you and not anywhere else. Jesus, you are our light, you are our salvation. We have nothing else to fear. God, we are grateful for all that you're doing in our lives and the ways that you continue to shape and mold us into your image. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great week.